My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. Amen. Isn't that the song of the church now? Isn't that the song of the church? Everybody needs somebody to rescue them. We're not going to make it on our own unless the Lord in His mercy reaches down and takes hold of us. Amen. Amen. Now, before we get started this morning and um, with our Bibles open, I, I just... I just feel like we're supposed to pray for some people as we get started. I, I'm just asking the Lord to send his fire this morning. Lord, send your fire. Where there needs to be his healing fire, where there needs to be his illumining fire, where there needs to be his encouraging fire. John said, here's how you're going to know that you've met the Messiah. Here's how you'll know you have met the anointed one. I can baptize you with water, he said, but there is one coming greater than I who when he does his baptizing, he baptizes you with his spirit and with fire, and with fire. Now here's what I want to ask you to do. If there is a medical condition that you have, a physical condition that you have, as we pray here in just a, just a minute or two, if you, if you want to do this, if you feel free to do this, I want you to just take your hand and put your hand on that place, on that shoulder, on that knee, on your neck, wherever the, the pain is, wherever the concern is. And you said, Pastor, why, why are you doing that? I'll tell you exactly why I'm doing that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same Jesus who is in this room, there are more than two or three of us gathered together in his name. He's in this room. He opened blinded eyes. He unclogged deaf ears. He enabled tongues to be able to speak. He he raised folks up who had never walked before. He even stopped a funeral procession one time, and it was, it, was a, it was a mother's only son, and she was a widow. He stopped the funeral procession, walked over to that casket, and raised that boy up and gave him back to her mother. There's hope, folks. There is hope in the living Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you just, to, just to let me pray for us and pray with us this morning. It may be some medical condition that the doctors haven't even been able to figure out. But there are folks in this room and folks who are listening who, if you would have the chance to do it, you would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm telling you, it was the Lord who drove that fever out of my baby's body. It was the Lord who stopped that cancer in its tracks. It was the Lord who caused there to be no more deterioration of a joint, caused there to be no further movement of an infection. It wasn't chance. God used medicine. God used the doctors. God used therapists. But it was God who healed me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So some of you who are out there, and you, there may not be anything medically going on with you right now, but you know of the power of the Lord to heal. I want you to just join with me in prayer as we stop before we open the word, and we're going to make our appeal to the living Jesus right now. So you put your hand wherever that would need to be. If you're watching, you're in a room with some friends and family, and you know there's somebody in that room who's, who's medically troubled and has a condition, if you just want to walk over and just place your hand on them as we, as we pray, we're going to do that. Do, we're going to be obedient to the Lord this morning as we start this service together, at least this part of the service. We've already sensed his presence. He's in the room. He's setting captives free. He's given us reason to rejoice. Let's look to him. Lord, we bless you that you are here. 
that you are in this room. You are in every room where your people are this morning, scattered out all over this country, even literally around this world. We bless the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess you as our king. We confess you as the ruler of the universe. We confess you as the healer, as our shepherd. Now, Lord, wherever, wherever you know that this is the day, this is the day, this is the appointed day for someone who has been sick, someone who has had fever, that there's been no ability to diagnose the source of, no ability by medicine to stop it. But, Lord, in your plan, this is the day when you would bring an end to that fever. You'd bring an end to that infection. Lord, we're asking you in Jesus' name to put your hand right upon that life, upon that body, and heal that one, Lord. We pray for ones struggling to walk, that you will give them that capacity back again according to your timing and your heart and your plan, even now, Lord. Ones that are having struggles with joints and shoulders and elbows and that, Lord, in your mercy, we know that those are not necessarily life and death conditions. But, Lord, you heal so many people who were not about to die, but they wanted to go back to work. That they wanted to be able to see. They wanted to be able to walk. And, Lord, we find ourselves in that place often with many today. Lord, would you just do again what you did all those years ago? When you took little children up in your arms and and you blessed them, we ask you to bless your people today. We ask you to stop the encroachment of Satan physically into lives. And we pray that you will reverse all of that and you'll bring forth healing in the name of Jesus. That you will send your fire, you will send your fire, you will send your fire to heal. From the top of our heads coursing down through all the bones and joints and flesh of our bodies to the bottom of our feet. We receive from you this day your healing power, your healing fire to set in order that which you intend to be brought back to full use and full service. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. And we prayed a prayer similar to that just um, in our first service, and I was just trying, wanting to be obedient. Some folks come to hear a, a sermon, I guess, and, and I, I, I hope we hear from the Lord and, and His Word is opened and we're blessed, but, but there's some things sometimes that can be more important for an individual than just sitting listening to information, and, and that happened this morning. One of our, one of our little ladies uh, Wonderful sister in Jesus, older in years. After the first service and after the prayer, she made her way across the front over there and found me. And she's talking through her mask. I have a hard time hearing ladies anyway with my ears. But she's talking to me through a mask, and I was having double trouble hearing her. And I leaned into her, and I said, Jay, what are you saying? And she said, Pastor... For the last months, I've had a sciatic nerve problem in my hip, leg, and there hadn't been anybody. The doctors couldn't figure out what it was. It was bothering me all the time until just a few minutes ago when we was, it was prayed for. And while I was sitting there, the pain just left. Well, you know, I know there may be folks out there saying, well, you're just staging that. I ain't staging nothing. I, I, we didn't come in here talking to Jay. Come with, the, Lord, the Lord can do what the Lord wants to do when he chooses to do it. He can use Tylenol and penicillin and surgery and radiation. He can use all those things. He can use all. When anybody gets well, it's a good gift from the Lord that God has provided. But he can also do it without those things. And I, I reject the notion that you haven't been healed, really healed by the Lord, unless it's independent of medicine or independent of surgery. I don't believe that. 
I believe every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He told somebody how to do penicillin. He told folks how to figure out how the radiation could help, etc., etc. But then it's also that the same Jesus who walked the face of the earth is still walking and living and moving and doing in the lives of his people what he chooses to do. And he can just roll up his sleeves all by himself without any help and raise somebody up. On his own. And that, that's, we don't, I don't ever want us to get, I don't ever want us to get that far away from the gospels of the Lord Jesus that we, we just think that was then and this is now. No, it's, it, it's now too. It's now too. So would you, if, if the Lord has done something as we've prayed this morning, would you, would you let us know? And I need to just say this real quickly to the Facebook folks out there who are tuning in by way of Facebook. The, the, the one who monitors, keeps up with, responds to, to you when you're chatting or doing what you do while I'm talking up here, communicating, the one who keeps up with that is our daughter, Abby, Abby Walker, who's married to Ryan Petkoff. Somebody already know where I'm going with this, but Abby and Ryan, Ryan is a senior vice president with, with the Kansas City Chiefs organization, the Hunt Sports Group. So they're, they're in Tampa. They're in Tampa right now, and this afternoon when the Super Bowl comes on, if you look up there, if they ever show the, the, the owner's suite, the, the Hunt family, you're liable to see one of those blondes in that group, but it's liable to be, liable to be Abby. And so she is monitoring the Facebook situation from a hotel room in Tampa this morning real time. <laughs> she said, Dad, now don't tell people to pray that the Chiefs will win. But she did say, if you just ask folks to pray that we'll play our best and that nobody will get hurt. So that's conveyed from Tampa to the Alamo City family. The Lord has, uh, has his people scattered around all over the place. And I can say to you that from my own personal, surely in our own personal involvement with Clark and Tavia Hunt, they know Jesus. Um, Norma Hunt, Lamar Hunt's widow, they know Jesus, and they, they, don't, they, they, they love to see their team win. But more importantly, and if, if, they, if they stick a microphone in Lamar Hunt's, in, in Clark Hunt's face this afternoon, and assuming that the Chiefs did win, I guarantee you he's going to be saying, all the glory goes to the Lord. Now, when the Lord puts his people in places of prominence and influence, he, he's got us there so that we can, in the right time, honor him. Now, and, I, and I'm telling you, I think if they get, if they get kicked through the goalpost of life this afternoon and they don't win, I think that's going to still be the same testimony that the Lord, the Lord is still Lord. God is still good. He will cause this even to work together for good. So uh, that's my commentary on this afternoon's Super Bowl in case you were, in case you were interested at all in that. Now here's, I want to ask you to take your copy of the scripture this morning and let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, where we spent some time last Sunday. I don't know when there has been as much um, response to a particular message than there was last Sunday to what we talked about. And the theme of it was, what forgiving, what forgiving will do for you. It's not the noun, it's the verb. Not, not the noun forgiveness, not what forgiveness will do for you. That can be about receiving forgiveness, and that's vital and important and so much a part of who we are in the Lord as a Christian. But this is an attribute. This is a, to be a characteristic of the Christian life. What forgiving, a heart that forgives, a heart that instead of hanging on to anger, instead of holding on to reasons to stay mad and to be offended, those people and those instances as just a habit, a holy habit, a way of operation, we release those things and we release those people unto the Lord. And as a result, we're not stuck. We're not stuck at the place of offense, stuck at the place of anger. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden the things that were done to us, the things that offended us, hurt us, all of a sudden seem not to be so bad. No, they are every bit as bad as the truth would declare them to be. But what it means is that there has come to be 
a reaction inside of us that instead of clinging to it, we do everything we know to do and cry out for the Spirit's help. Lord, I give this to you. I release this to you. Here's, here's how Paul ends up a section that includes the teaching on the necessity of not living with embedded, embittered anger. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. Here is what Paul writes. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgive each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgive each other. A life, a heart that forgives, and the word for forgive means to release, to let go of, to, to declare that there is, there is no debt kept, that the debt has been paid. Forgiving one another, how? As God in Christ also has forgiven you. Well, how, how were we forgiven by God in Christ? I can tell you one part of it. I'm so thankful that every time I wake up, start a new day, the Lord doesn't parade before me a list of all of the things of the yesterdays of my life and sometimes not too much in the distant past of the things where I did wrong, where there were sins, premeditated in some cases, some by accident. But he doesn't keep parading the list of my junk day after day after day after day. You know what he says? He says, here's what the kind of forgiveness that God meets out really is. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far God puts our sins once he forgives us of those sins. As deep as the deepest sea and beyond, that's where our sins are thrown once the Lord has forgiven us. And you know he's saying as he forgives us that way, you and I are to understand that that's how he calls upon us to forgive each other, to forgive people, to drop it, to let it go, to give it to him, and to move on. Some of the saddest Christians are the ones who don't understand the mercy of the Lord upon them and the forgiveness, the release of the Lord upon them. They think they've got to, to, to live every day under the shadow of, of what the yesterdays of their lives produced. When the truth of the matter is, therefore, if any man, woman is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Forgiving one another as God in Christ also has forgiven us. He lists in verse 31, he puts, he puts it this way, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 30, we're reading from the bottom up here. Verse 30, and, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He, he puts that statement about grieving the Holy Spirit in the middle of a list of things that are specific sins, specific things that believers, that Christians can do that will grieve the Spirit of the Lord. This book was not written, this letter was not written to the unbelievers out there. This was written specifically to believers, to the Ephesian Christians and through them to us. 
And he's saying, you learn how to forgive, and you forgive each other the way that God has forgiven you in Christ, and, and you, you be sure that you're not allowing bitterness and clamor and anger and wrath to accumulate in your heart. And then he gives an explanatory statement here when he says, in effect, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When you allow those things to operate and to stay in your life, a refusal to forgive or hanging on to bitterness and wrath and so forth, what that ends up doing is that ends up grieving, grieving the Holy Spirit. The, the word grief it is, a, is, is, a, is an attribute of a person. It, it is, it, it's it's a, an improper understanding of who the Holy Spirit is to refer to him as an it. The Holy Spirit it says or the Holy Spirit it wants. No. Paul will say, now the Lord Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. The Holy Spirit, in simple terms, is the invisible presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is. So what he's saying here is that by the choices that we make and the things that we do and the things that we say, we can either bless the Spirit of Jesus operating in us, or we can grieve the Spirit of Jesus operating in us. Now, folks, I'm going to just tell you, if there's one living entity in the universe that you and I don't want to offend or to grieve, it is the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ alive within us. Why? Because it is the Spirit of Jesus who supplies us with his sense of his love for us, his joy, his peace. Not, not our, we're not copying his joy. We're not trying to imitate his peace. There's a Galatians 5.22. This is the fruit of his spirit. This is the evidence. This is the residue. This is the outworking of his spirit within you. You, you know that you're loved. There's joy and there's peace and there's gentleness and there's, kind, there's kindness and there's patience and there's self-control. Those, those things that flow into us by his spirit and operate out through us because he's active in us or do or, or that is happening because he's pleased with us that he has he has freedom to rule and reign in our hearts but when we grieve him folks when we grieve him when we grieve him and we're fixing to talk about a, you know the main one for this for this session here when we grieve him it should not be a surprise that those expressions of who he is, those expressions that he wants to make known through us, the sense of his love, joy, peace, patience, those things can begin to fade, to fade when, when, when he's grieved. It doesn't mean that, that he completely abandons us. But that's, the, that's why the warning is here, don't grieve the Spirit because, my goodness, you need to know God's love in your heart. Don't grieve the Spirit because you're going to need to know His joy that is your strength. For goodness sake, don't grieve the Spirit because He's the one who will give you patience. He'll give you the ability to put up with something instead of cutting and running. You don't need to grieve the Holy Spirit because He is the one who can give to you self-control. Self-control to stop the stuff that we don't need to keep doing and do the things that are right in his sight. Where does all that come from? Is it just us copying the scripture, trying to make ourselves do what the word says? It, that's important to have the written standard, but most of us, we would quickly agree. My problem is not that I don't have the information. My problem is that I don't have the want to. The want to comes from the filling of the spirit of Jesus inside our hearts. And we don't need to do anything that would cause the flow of the spirit of Jesus and his expressions in us to be diminished in any way. So Paul is listing some things here that can grieve the spirit. If we won't live at the place of forgiveness, if, our, if there's bitterness and wrath and so forth. Then look at verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good 
for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may, may give grace to those who hear. Un unhold some words, rotten words. That's not just profanity. That's not just trash talking. It, it, it can be negative stuff. It, it, it can be, the, it can be have, having an attitude that, that, that everything is awful and everything is horrible and every, nothing's ever going to be any better or it's all your fault or it's all my fault. What, what benefit does that do to somebody who hears it? Folks, I say this often. You, you, don't, you don't have to be a Christian to be negative. You don't have to know Jesus in your heart to have a pessimistic worldview. In fact, it ought to be just the opposite. It is that those who know Jesus, those who know that they are loved by him, those who know that they have been rescued out of darkness and transformed and brought into his marvelous light, we've got good news to shout to a world that is feeling hopeless and feeling confused and feeling abandoned and not knowing what's to come next. For us to be able to say, I know that my God is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know how it's all going to quit. I don't know how it's all going to end. I don't know who he's going to use. But I can tell you this. This I know. The God who brought me out of darkness and has put me in his light and I'm walking his forgiveness. If he can do that, then he can take any set of circumstances and turn it together for good and use it for his glory and for his, for his benefit in my life. Instead of getting sucked into the negative, pessimistic, can I, I'll just leave that. Let me just stop right there. You get the point. You get the point. That is no evidence of the filling of the Spirit in your life. And if reading the Scripture does nothing more than just keep you pessimistic and negative and worried about tomorrow and scared to death of what's going to happen five years from now, I want to lay the Bible down. Get back, find yourself a quiet place and say, Lord, would you help me? Because the word says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I'm not walking in joy. I'm walking in fear. I'm walking in hesitation. I'm walking in pessimism. I'm, I'm walking in uncertainty. Where's your joy, Lord? What happened to the joy? It could very well be, my brother, my sister, that if you lost the joy of his presence, you've lost the sense of peace working in his life, that somewhere down the line you grieved the Holy Spirit. You grieved the Spirit of Jesus. And he is the one who supplies all of those things that we so desperately need. All right, so let me keep going here. Look at verse 28. Let him who steals... Still no longer. Talking to the church, talking to Christians, coming to church on Sunday and, and you know, and, and just stealing from the company Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Let him who steals quit it. Quit stealing. You, you may have got an extra tool, tool in your box. You may have got an extra buck or two here. But what, what, what the expense of that is, you've lost your joy. You, you, you've lost the sense of the love of God and the assurance of God holding you. Where'd that come from? It came from the place where you grieve the spirit and the flow of what we really need the most that's more valuable than having an extra tool in the toolbox, another buck or two in the bank account. That which we need the most, we forfeit because of this, these far cheaper pursuits. So, all right, and then let's go back, go to verse 26. Here's, here's where we're starting, where we're jumping in. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Be angry, and yet do not sin. There is a type of anger that's like a 22 rifle shot. It's spot on. It's at a point. It's an expression. It is, it is attached to a purpose of God to fix something. Be angry and yet do not sin. Jesus, on repeated occasions, when he would look at what was going on on the temple grounds in Jerusalem, realizing that it was to be his father's house of prayer, 
and he saw the thievery and the cheating that was going on in his house through the money changer's hands. And he took it for as long as he could take it. And he turned over the tables, scattered the coins, ran out the money changers and said, this will not be a den of thieves. This is my father's house of prayer. But the point is, Jesus didn't stay mad. If Jesus had stayed consumed by the anger with what was going on in the temple, he would never have had the emotional desire to heal sick people, to let mamas bring their babies up and put them in his arms, asking that he would bless those children, bless those babies. He would have been so consumed with what was wrong, he wouldn't have enough energy left to do what was right. Jesus is our example. Yes, there are things that we stand for. Yes, there are things that we, we, we take action on. But we don't live at the place of embedded anger. That's what this matter, what he's meaning here when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. There are two different Greek words used for anger in this same verse. The first word for anger is a word that can be attached to righteous kind of indignation. That there is a wrong and there's a stand that needs to be taken, to, taken against the wrong. But when it says don't let the sun go down on your anger, that is another Greek word. It, it is a word that speaks of lingering, and deeply bedded embitterment. It means the absence of mercy toward the one you're embittered against or the ones you're embittered against. That there's, there is no prayer for them except an imprecatory prayer, a judgment prayer. God, they, they're so far gone. They're, they're, they're so worthless of your mercy that just... just Take them on. Just, just get them out of here. Embitterment. Deep-seated. You go to bed with it. Wake up the next morning and it's as real, it's as strong as it was the day before. Paul is saying, don't you live there. Christian, don't live there. Because what that does is, in, this, in verse 27, it gives the devil a place. Folks say, I'm a Christian. The devil doesn't have any place in me. He doesn't unless you give him one. Washed in the blood of the lamb, cleansed, set free, darkness cast out. But Paul is writing this, and I, I, I keep saying this. Paul is writing this to Christians. This is not addressed to pagans or those who, who don't claim to know the Lord. He's saying to believers, you let anger become embitterment in you. You let it fester. You let it get infected. You let it get to where it, is, it, it dominates your life, marks your whole outlook on life. And what's happening is you are giving turf in your heart to the devil. The word opportunity is a word, another Greek word that we get the word topography from. It's topos, a place. We get maps, that topography, maps with rivers and creeks and elevations and locations of cities and villages and even houses and street addresses, places, places. Paul is saying, as, as he speaks this to these Christians that he dearly loves, You've got to know that you refuse to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. You, you. you refuse to understand that Satan is watching for. He is connected with embitterment, deeply seated, embedded anger. And as you receive that, let that stay there and in effect agree with it because you let it in. You're giving a place for the devil in your life, in your heart, in your heart, Christian. The second most powerful being in the universe 
is given a place on the inside of your, of your soul. Go into heaven, Jesus is Savior, quoting scripture, giving tithes, but Satan has a place in your heart that he operates from because of this embedded, clung to resentment and anger. It becomes a supernatural part of your life. It affects everything. It affects how you look at people. It affects it how you look at yourself. It affects it how you look at circumstances, the future, the past. It owns you. Where anger owns you. Embitterment owns you. Here's how you know you got it. Here's how you know you've come down with that virus. There's no mercy in your heart for the one who offended you. There's no mercy in your heart for the one or ones who have done what they did. It's not saying in any way that what they did was, was somehow less than what they did. It, it's, it's owning it. As Jesus forgave us, that he, he, he didn't sugarcoat what we had done. He saw exactly what we did and exactly how long we did it, who we did it with, and what it was constituted of. But he still forgave us. Amen. <laughs> He knew it all, and he still poured out his precious blood that we'd be forgiven. So when we say that this is to be released in like manner of, of those by those, for those who have forgiven us, it means that we're not saying that what they did wasn't that wrong. It may be very wrong and even more than what we know. But our choice is, our understanding is, I don't have permission to let it cook. That every time that face comes up, every time that name comes up, it's like it ruins my whole day. When there is a power that you can't control, when there is a power of something like that operating that you can't control, it can be very much an indication for a believer that that's not God operating there, but that is a, that is a place where Satan is at work. The name Diabolos, devil, Diabolos. It means, it's two words, that, that to throw between. Satan is a specialist at knowing how to throw stuff between in order to separate people. Diabolos, the devil. So what he does is, that he, you give him a place of, of the anger that will not be called what it is. Lord, this is sin. It's cooking in me. I don't know how to let go of it, but I agree with you. This is wrong. This is affecting me. This is, this is damaging me. This is limiting me. And I want it out. I want it to be gone. And it means that we will come to the place of not agreeing with Satan anymore about the right that I have to stay angry. You see, some folks will say, well, God's mad at it, therefore I can be mad at it. God's mad at it, therefore I have a right to stay mad at it. Can, can you justify that statement in the light of this verse? God's mad at it, but God is God and you and I are not. But even to say that about God is not a completely true statement. God is love. God has the ability to send his peace. God has the ability to refresh somebody who comes back to him. That which dominates the heart of God is not his anger. Jesus didn't come out of heaven because he was ticked at the human race. Jesus came out of heaven because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish, but would have everlasting life. So Lord, I see that this is wrong. More than it just being wrong, here, here, here's what will blow your hat in the creek, folks. When you begin to realize that it's not just wrong that I keep the anger, but it gives Satan a place in my heart. You say, I don't believe that. Read it again. Well, what it is, I don't want to believe that, even though the word clearly states it. As long as there is agreement with the enemy over the right to carry an offense, 
that that's what he keeps saying. He keeps accusing the person, keeps accusing the situation. So you have a right. You're reinforced with a thousand different reasons as to why you should be able to stay and embrace and coddle and let that cook inside you. And as long as that's happening, the grieving of the Spirit. And I'm talking to some folks right now. You have been wondering, why have I lost the joy of my salvation? Where has my ability to concentrate on things of God, why has that gone? Very well could be that it is because there is a grieving of the Spirit that has gone on because of a refusal to let go. And again, we know, we know, we can know that we've forgiven them. Oh, we're in the process of forgiving. This may have to happen 40 times during a day to start with, to release them back unto the Lord. You, you know that forgiveness is working when you're beginning to feel mercy toward them instead of just judgment. And then the second thing is, you know that you're for, forgiving, the ability to forgive, that, that verb is working in you when you can begin to appreciate the good, the good that God may, be, have, may have worked or may be working through their lives. But if the enemy owns you, there's no mercy and there's nothing about them that is any good. You see the bad as far more determining than any good that there may have been. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. Aren't you and I thankful that that isn't the way that Jesus is treating us? His mercy we need. He sees good in us that we don't even see about ourselves. Jesus would say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. The voice of the devil will be the one saying, accuse, accuse, accuse. You're justified in your anger. You're justified because it was so wrong and God's already mad. The voice of Satan. He can quote scripture. The voice of Jesus working in your heart. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Which sinner did Jesus not die for on the cross? Which sinner? Which one? See, here's the deal. If we get our eyes off of the cross of Jesus and the reason for the cross, that he was dying for sinners, among which we have a place, if I get our eyes off of the cross, which is exactly where Satan wants us to be, our eyes off of the cross, the mercy of God, the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse from sin and to set a captive free. If Satan can seduce a Christian into a place where the cross of Jesus is somewhere in the background, but the reason for why this particular person is so sorry, so rotten, so unforgivable, so useless, then he's got you right where he wants you. Because you won't pray. You won't pray for this one. We've lost the sense of what he did for us. We've lost the sense of his mercy toward us. And all we see is the justified vindictiveness toward this one over here. Paul is saying, when you get to that point, just understand, you are in danger of, if it hasn't already happened, giving a place in your heart to Satan, to the devil. So what do we do? What do we do? Number one, we confess the sin of embedded anger. You say, but I've got a right. Okay, here, here's your deal. Had you rather live the rest of your life just hang, hunkering down, just camping out right here? I've got a right to stay mad. I've got a right to be offended. I've got a right to resent. Or over here, where forgiveness has happened, 
releasing them to the Lord, but somehow joy is returning to your heart. Somehow you can live now in a bigger world instead of the world singularly be defined by what's happening in this situation right here. It, it, it can be when, you, when your world shrinks, it can be an indication that the enemy just keeps trying to press you into that until this gets fixed, I can't go on, until this is changed, until the vindication comes here, until that made, is made right about this person, then I just can't go on. That's Satan and not the, and not the Lord. For the Spirit of the Lord is, listen, 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 folks. And I'm not, I, I need to soften that. I'm not hollering anybody too much in particular. I'm just trying, you know, trying to say this. This is what the Word says. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. 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 Freedom from being consumed with an embedded anger. Or the spirit of the Lord. But, but here's the deal. We, we feel like we are so justified because we have been hurt, offended. We feel that we are so justified, so justified by the anger that we can't get our eyes off of it. And as a result, can become useless, immobile, paralyzed in the work of the Lord. We, we confess the sin of that. We confess the sin of agreeing with Satan of agreeing with the devil with all of his confusion, all, all of his accusations. You know, and then, and then, we, then we begin to receive from the Lord his fresh mercy into our hearts. That we're, we're renouncing the place that the enemy had. We're removing the place because we've confessed the sin of that. But I'm just saying, if, you, if there's no confession, if there's never any confession, Satan can squat down on that place in your life until you go to heaven. Time will not run him off. He, he is only dispensed when the ground that he's standing on in your life is taken from him. What's he standing on? Embedded anger. Resentment that seems to be justified, that lives, that cooks, that gets infected, that causes a temperature in your heart, and then causes there to be a shrinking of a world and a diminishing of the presence of the Lord, the sense of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. So we confess that specific sin. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for agreeing with the enemy and speaking unwholesome words, all that, as a result of that place. And in the name of Jesus... I plead the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from that sin of that embedded anger, agreeing with the enemy, and I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to remove Satan's presence, remove his right to be in me, send that far away, and in the place of that spot where the enemy has stood, I'm asking you to fill me up with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Testimony of one of the pastors, Alamo City, some years ago. A divorce, a brutal divorce, left with kids to raise. The resentment coming from the spouse who had left and abandoned the family was very real, justifiable in so many means. But here's what the man said. He felt that he heard the Spirit of the Lord say to him, driving down 410, headed east on 410, here was the word to his heart. If you will forgive her, called her name, if you will forgive her, I will fill you with my Spirit. If you forgive her, I will fill, I will fill you with my Spirit. He knew the Lord, serving the Lord, dedicated follower of the Lord. But there was a longing in his life for there to be New Testament kind of passion for Jesus at work in him. And as soon as that, that was spoken to his heart, if you forgive her, I'll fill you. He got off the freeway, knew where she was living, drove up, got out of the car, went up and knocked on the door, said, I need to talk to you. 
I need to tell you, say to you that I forgive you. And I believe he also said, and I ask you to forgive me for the things that have been my part in this. He hadn't done the things that she had done, not anywhere near it. But he was understanding that there was some degree that, of, of mercy that had been thwarted toward her because of the depth of his resentment. I, I'm, I'm saying to you that I forgive you, and I'm asking you to forgive me. It wasn't received well, to the best of my knowledge. It, it, was if, it was if, you know, he might have been talking to sheetrock or, or to plywood on a door. But something changed on the inside of that brother at that moment in time that which had been the barricade to the, to the further and more full expression of the Lord in his life by his spirit, lifted, opened, and the filling of the spirit of Jesus in a way that he had never experienced before and walks into this day came to be a reality in his life. I cannot express to you how critical, how vital, how important, how, how serious this is. That you hold on to the resentment or you let it go and receive the filling. It's in the context of, it's in the context of, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Let me show you a verse that has come to mean a lot to me over the years. This is Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Peter's preaching. Simon Peter, the one who denied the Lord three times. But that was before he experienced what it was to be filled, brought under control of, empowered by the spirit of the risen Jesus. He's standing up now and he's preaching. A man has been healed. He says in verse 19, Repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Can I read that one more time? Anybody needing a refreshing from the Lord? Anybody need a return to joy, a return to the sense of usefulness, the sense of his love within you? Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. Unless this were expressed to us in written words that we can understand, we might never get it as clearly as we can now. That there is a connection, there is a connection between unforgiveness and the loss of the seasons of refreshing. We may want to think it's not that big a deal. God's mad at it, and I'm mad at it, and that's just the end of it. Well, live there and dry up. Live there and dry up. Go to heaven when you die, but dry down here. Seasons of refreshing. Repent. The word repent means to know after. To know something after you've been through it. It's clearer. I see it now. It makes sense to me now, whereas it didn't before. I get it. And on the basis of what I see now, my actions are changed. My attitude has changed. My perspective is different. Repent in order that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Folks, nobody knows your life story other than you and certainly the Lord. Some folks can be very visible when this is operating. Other folks can be very hidden and very secret. But I just want to put it to you this way. Would you want more joy? Would you want more of his peace? Would you, would you desire for there to be an old-fashioned 
God-given revival in your life. But Billy Graham's already in heaven. He can't preach it. We got to to wear masks everywhere, so you may not be in a church. What, what What if right where you are this morning, when this is settling in, Lord, I don't want that. I'm hanging on to this, and I'm not having a grip on this from you. Will you forgive me for clinging to anger? Will you forgive me for allowing this to cook? I I repent of that. I give it to you. Cleanse that place in my life by the blood of Jesus that Satan has been standing on. I resist him, and he must flee. He has no place, no authority to stand because I'm rejecting agreement with him. And I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit in the places where the enemy has had direction. If you'll pray that prayer, if you'll pray that way. And just, you're having to, okay, so I'm justified. I'm just, I feel like I'm justified. I'm justified. Where's the joy? Where's the joy? Where's the power in the Holy Spirit? Where's the sense of his hope? Where'd he go? What if it's tied to a grieving of the Spirit because I won't let go of the anger? And when once that happens, you know what a, you know what a good shower feels like on a hot day when you've been working outside? And you come in and turn that shower and get in there, and that old dirt gets to wash it off. And I mean, you, you can walk, you can get out of that shower feeling like a new person. Seasons of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead, showers of blessing, showers of blessing, oh, that the showers may fall. Now, now, it could happen now. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen as soon as you pray that prayer. Forgive her. And I'll fill you with my spirit, the spirit said. He did, and he did. And the rest is history. Lord, thank you for our time together today. Wherever you need to take this, I ask you to take it. And I ask you not to let us be able to dodge it. In your mercy, Lord, work this by your spirit deep within the places of our heart. So that we will come out the other side by the work of your spirit free knowing that we're forgiven, with our eyes back on the cross, that, wait a minute, I was forgiven of much. Why would I resent your forgiveness toward this one? Praying, Lord, would you set our priorities straight? We won't get far off track if we keep our eyes on the cross and what you did and who you died for on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for working in our hearts. Thank you for your mercy toward us. Grant that we may be spokesmen for your mercy instead of suppliers of accusation and negative and entrapment. Seasons of refreshing. Repent that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Would you say that with me? Repent that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord. One more time. Lord, I want to repent that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Amen. 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 Let it in. Let it in. Let it in. God bless you for being a part of our time together this morning. I want to say thank you to so many of you who have shared with us your prayer requests. Our team of intercessors take that seriously and joyfully to pray with you about what's working in your heart. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. Doesn't have to be a long email, but just enough for us to know how to pray with you and agree with you. And we'll say thank you to all of you who are praying. So many wonderful in this, in this room when we meet, but also so many across the state, different parts of the nation, even around the world, that you pray for us, but then as you are able to help financially, that enables us to keep getting the word out. The broadcast of the services continues to go. So thank you. Thank you for what you have done. It's made a big difference and helps greatly.
All right, I'm, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking. But what I'm thinking is go Chiefs, but I'm not going to say that. Bless you all. Bless you all. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.